Uh, James Busey just started at the as the creative arts director here at Veritas, and so we're excited for you guys to get to know James and for me as well. This will be fun. Um, and so, and with Jeff, the usual co-host here, um, and so we started. Not, not special at all. Not I mean, James isn't going to be special yeah. for long, but I'm already not special. At all. Right. <laughs> We started the round table to fight isolation with community and just letting people in on the conversations that we have pastorally. And um, so we're gonna be hitting on some fun topics. I've got my uniform. Every fall I get a, I get a new uniform. This is the Salt Iowa City shirt for this year. Uh, once again, Mitchell did a great job. So yeah, um, nice. anyway, yeah, it'll be, uh, you guys have your t-shirts, so. Um, yeah, yours, Jeff. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's uh, let's jump right in. So, James, um, give us your backstory. Let us know who you are. Um, maybe, yeah, just a little yeah. bit about your life, your God story, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm actually from just down the road here. I grew up in a little town called Wayland, Iowa, which is um, down south of Washington. So, just about 45 minutes from Iowa City. So yeah, it, it feels like a little bit of a homecoming for me to be back in the, the Iowa City area. This is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I was raised by two great Christian parents. They, they both um, came to Christ at the University of Iowa. They were students. Um, and so I feel really grateful to have yeah, just two awesome parents who raised me to know and love Jesus. Um, yeah, I mean, small town life. I mean, there are 30 people in my graduating class at Waco High School. Go Warriors. Um, and, you know, just, just living the small town, living in that bubble, um, part of, like a big part of my story is just um, I tend to be, a people pleaser. I want everybody, everybody to be having a good time, like everybody to like me. Um, and there's a lot of pressure in a, in a small town to everybody knows who you are. And, and I just, I so wanted to please everyone. I wanted to please my friends. I wanted to please my parents. And so that just, that just leads to this kind of two faced lifestyle. Like you can, you just take off personalities and put on different personalities and that, was basically what I was living for. I, I came to Christ as a, as a child, and um, in middle school, I feel like that was my first experience of like, whoa, like God is real. This isn't just something that my parents um, do. This isn't just a family thing. Like God is, is real. Like I want to live my life for Him. So I've been walking with Christ, but not always in a, in a faithful way, and what felt very split, um, up until college, really. Um, so I went to Iowa State University. So um, grew up a Hawkeye fan my whole life. Um, chose to go to Iowa State University mostly because it was just farther away from where I grew up. You know, you need some distance. And, uh, and I love Iowa State University, still a Hawkeye at heart, but uh, had a great experience there. Um, and that was where I got involved with the salt company at, at Cornerstone Church in Ames. And that experience, my brother had gone before me, so he drugged me along with him. And I remember 
um, a message at, at one of those events that um, the pastor just said, like, hey, if you, if you claim Christianity, um, you can't just pick and choose what parts of the Bible you want to believe. You can't just pick and choose what parts of your life are going to be Christian and what parts are not. And I just felt like he was speaking directly to me because I was just living that same lifestyle. Like, oh, I like these friends on my dorm floor, so I'm going to go see what they're up to. I'll go out to parties with them. But I also have like my salt company world and just riding the fence in so many different ways and felt such conviction in that moment to know, like, I need to choose a path um, at the beginning of my college career. I need to choose who I'm going to be. Which of these roads am I going to follow? And um, yeah, I'm just so grateful the, the Holy Spirit led me to um, really put my stake in the ground um, with Jesus. And I have not regretted that one bit. I mean, there's been bumps in the road, but, but since then, like grew so much through the salt company ministry. Um, so yeah, Mark, you were my salt company director for, um, for a few years. Wow. Had Paul, Paul Sabino my first few years yeah. and then you came in yeah. like, kind of halfway through. So, so did you come in 2005? Was that 05? 2005 was my freshman yeah. year. Cool. Yep. Man, I think about all the, the freshmen that are coming flooding into town right now. You know, I mean, how many, well, all of us impacted through college ministry in mm. college towns and through, you know, and so you just, yeah, you, I, I think about that, that decisional point of where am I going to go in college? This is such a mm. time for students. Uh, well, and I was thinking, even as you were saying that, James, how many times, you know, yeah, all of us. I mean, I came to Christ as, as a freshman. So for sure, people like me and, and you guys as well. But then I think on now we're, we're on the other side of that. Like we're the ones up there talking to those students. And how many times is that experience that you had James going on mm. and we're, we're unaware. Like, I don't, I don't know who that was. Do you remember who it was that was speaking that night? Or no? uh, it was Troy. Yeah. Was it Troy? So, yeah. I mean, thinking about, he's just up there faithfully pro proclaiming what's true, not being able to control what goes on as the Holy mm -hmm. spirit, you know, lands that in, in all those hearts. And it's just a cool thing. You know what I mean? Like right. now again, here we are in Iowa city, a bunch of freshmen coming in and other students and you just faithfully go out there and who knows, you know, 10 years down the road, what stories are going to emerge, you know, that, yeah, man, I was sitting there and this guy started talking about X, Y, or Z from the Bible and wham, you know, it's just a, beautiful right. yeah beautiful opportunity we have yeah yeah so james tell us about your from there you know you're going through college and then kind of your post-college what yeah yeah so i was a, a journalism major at iowa state um i love telling stories i love meeting people and um really enjoyed that i didn't so much like the like being a reporter like going to city council meetings that kind of stuff but just knew that was kind of part of the territory and um so when i graduated i worked for the ames tribune for about a year and a half as a reporter um and all that time i mean and, and in in college i was volunteering at cornerstone volunteering at salt company whether it was on worship team um doing worship leading or um, learning video and, and shooting testimony videos and things like that, highlight videos. Um, 
So even though I was, I was working in Ames, I worked for the Ames Tribune for a year and a half, and then I worked for um, the Iowa State Foundation, doing video for them for a while, my heart was really serving the church. Like whatever I could do to serve, I was all in um, giving my time to that. And so, yeah, in 2012, I got offered a job at Cornerstone Church um, as a full-time video guy was my first job at, at Cornerstone. I loved that. I still love, you know, shooting and editing video. Um, but that, that job grew into where I became the arts director at Cornerstone. And so I was the um, creative arts director there for five years up until now. So James, you've got, it's, it's funny because watching you, you know, from when you came as a freshman until, until now, I mean, you're, you're just one of the most diverse and I mean, you're so gifted in so many different areas. I mean, I've, I've heard you, you know, writing an album with James Lagerman, James and James, you know, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the, and I remember one night you guys, it, you were up there and it was like a comedy act. I don't know if you've seen Dimitri oh, yeah. Martin, but you're up there playing your guitar, like telling stories between songs. And I mean, it was just had the room dying, laughing. You've written, I'm sure, productions and involved in other things. Like what's your, uh, what's your favorite of all those just like artistic expressions throughout your years? What have been some oh, of man. moments? Yeah. I, I, feel very blessed to be involved yeah just such a wide range of different things whether it's like skits for VBS and just random stuff or you know uh, putting together a night of worship um, we worked together on like the anthem albums back at, at Cornerstone yeah. and um, yeah yeah for those who remember James Lagerman he was a worship leader here at, at Veritas we had this thing called James and James when we were in college together that is seriously still one of my favorite things I've been a part of. We did a reunion show like two years ago. So, um, do, you, do you know? Do you remember any of those songs? Like, can you? Oh play, yeah, can yeah. You I can. Play us a verse and a chorus of a song. Oh my gosh! Is that two? Yeah. Is that two on the spot? You think well, here's you the thing. Here's the thing about James and James. I'm totally unprepared for this. Um, but <laughs> I just always carry a, a guitar right next to me. Um, the thing about James and James is, yeah, it was, I don't know what the tone was because we would, we would shift. We would be just off the wall. Like I have one song that was called, I don't want to get a job. And it was about how I didn't want to get a job and it was just stupid and funny. But then like we would just turn a corner and get like serious too. <laughs> uh, Sheesh, I don't know. So th this is one of the songs I wrote that, James, that I have one about a blizzard or. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got a song called um, Apoca Apocalyptic Snow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we wrote that when we were on the college radio station of Iowa State. Um, we were on a live segment and it was a snowstorm going on and there were people were talking about how it was snowpocalypse or something. So we wrote a song um on the spot called Apoc apocalyptic snow that we we ended up making a techno remix of that got played on like who radio like it 
it had a its moment in the sun, so you just never know what's gonna. I totally interrupted you, but <sighs> So this is a song I wrote. I, I'm just gonna play it like a verse, but hey, I I tend to write songs that are like stories, so like ballads. Um, this is a song called Tom and Julie, 1986. Um, so it's it, it's somebody's like love story or whatever. But um, so this one isn't even a, a funny one, but I like it. So I'll just play like a verse. Ziploc bag in the city park Underneath a rock in the darkest part And I know exactly where to go I open it up and take a look Inside the bag a tattered book A dollar bill and a bag of scribbled writing I recognize the washed out lines Moisture wells up in my eyes As I recall the way her face lit up that night Oh, the promise we made that night When we chose to write the note I hold today I fear to read the words that say If you find this package, won't you please leave us a note And bury it back where it was before Cause 20 years from now, we'll be back here with our kids so they can see where mom and dad first kissed. Love, Tom and Julie, 1986. So that's that's wow. a verse. That, that is. Yes. Awesome. I never heard yes. that. Yeah. Awesome. I it. wrote. It was based on an actual time capsule that I found when I was hiking one time. No oh, way. True story. Yeah. That's wow. Cool. That's awesome. What? So. So can you remember the, you did a little comedy routine while you were playing between songs. About oh yeah, yeah. That was a song called. Mispronounced in middle school. <laughs> yeah, that was a song called High School. And so in the song, we would always do a break and we would tell a story from our high school days. And one of my favorites from my high school days. So yeah, you'll notice my name, my last name is, is Pusey. Um, that's how it's pronounced. Um, always a hard time for uh substitute teachers like sorry they would like read down the, the the list of names they would get to the p section they'd be saying everybody's full name you know and then they would get to me and they'd just kind of pause you could see them kind of focus be like james is james here like they're, they're not even gonna try um and i i applaud them for that like good for you that was usually the case um but there was one time, so I, I golfed in high school. I was a very good golfer, but like when you golf in high school, you go on golf meets and they, they pair you up. So they'll like read off the, the pairings of, of people, the, the groupings that are going to go out and play. And so we're at a different school and this coach from the opposing team is, is reading through the names and, and doing the pairings. And um, he gets to mine and he does the thing where he stops like, like everybody does. And I'm here in the church foyer so this is going to be weird but so he he just gets to it and he just pauses gets a little smirk on his face is like pussy where's pussy <laughs> just just with so much joy on his face just um just lets loose and i have to then walk in front of all of these guys pick up the scorecard like that's that's me thank you for that 
so I made I made someone's day that day. But uh, yeah, I I think what this what the last name does like it's just a guaranteed sense of humor. Like you're going to have a sense of humor if you have my last name, or else you're just not going to make it in life. And so I consider it a blessing. <laughs> it worked for you, James. I I haven't laughed as we did our staff day away on Monday. And like hanging out with you, I don't know if I've laughed that hard in so long. So you've you've worked it out. You've worked it out. We um, did, by the way. He did have one opportunity to change his last name. I'm sure we'll get to that part of his of his story. But we did give you an opportunity. Yeah, we should probably just reveal that. We should probably get that out in the yeah, open. What's so. that story, Jeff? What happened there? <laughs> well, let me just yeah. So Jeff is my father-in-law. Um, so I'm married to his daughter. Audrey. So if there was ever a time I could have taken the Dodge name, but I just think, man, James Dodge, that that's too strong of a name. Like <laughs> that's like, and we'll get to Lord of the Rings too, but that's like a ring of power that I don't need. <laughs> you know, the name James Dodge would carry me to places that I have no business being in. So uh, <laughs> we always we always joke about it's never Jeff. No one ever says Jeff. It's always Jeff. Jeff Dodge. Dodge. <laughs> Jeff Dodge. So James, you would just have to get used to James Dodge. It's true. Uh, yeah, that, that is a powerful name. It is it's got a ring to it, but yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> all right. So hey, on a serious note. I'm just wondering who are some people that have shaped you and, and how have they shaped you? Yeah. Wow. That is a great question. I mean, certainly my, my parents are so influential. I respect my dad a ton. He's um, such a godly man, very, um, very humble and like soft spokenly wise. Um, and yeah, I, respect so much of him my mom was always you know such a great cheerleader such a great mom like just like pushed me to do things that I didn't want to do and I'm glad that she did that uh, it really shaped me I mean Audrey has shaped me more than anyone I mean yeah my wife Audrey she is I mean it's become kind of a joke that's not really a joke now like when we talk about us coming here like yeah, James, but Audrey, like we get Audrey, um, everyone's way more excited about her than me, which it's okay. I could take it. Um, what, what, for those people that don't know Audrey in Veritas, but are going to get to know her, like what, yeah. what is Audrey like? What, Audrey what is so her? not a big deal. That's what's funny. Like everybody will, will like talk her up. Like, She's amazing, but she is, oh, I just pulled my, pulled my headphones out. That's how excited I am when I talk about Audrey. Um, <laughs> Uh, she is just such a normal person, but kind and humble. And, um, so yeah, what comes to mind for me, and we're going to talk about books, but, um, there's a, a character. So in the book, Crime and Punishment by Dostoyevsky, the main character is this like conflicted soul who thinks he's like a really big deal. He refers to himself. He's like, I am I feel like I'm a Napoleon. Like I should be a big deal. I just need to do something drastic to, to make a name for myself. And that's why he ends up committing this crime. Um, I feel that 
in me. Like, oh, I should be, like, I want to make a name for myself. I want to do something great. And Audrey does not have a single bit of that. Like, she is so <laughs> grounded and so content in life in general. And I love that. And it has been so good for me to just be so happy living living a quiet life and living um, in a way that is content. I admire that about her so much. And she does not understand the impact that she has on other people that she does, but she, yeah, she's just an amazing person, so. So it's interesting, they asked uh, Eugene Peterson to describe a saint. Mm. And he said, humble, unpretentious, and they don't even realize they're a saint. And I thought that was such a cool description. And it sounds kind of like you're describing Audrey. <laughs> yes. No, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> so props to whoever raised Audrey. Um, it's a mystery. They did a, <laughs> they did a really good job. <laughs> Oh man! Well, the apple doesn't fall far from the apple tree with uh, Jeff and Teresa on that one. So, good uh, work, she, Jeff. Oh, she she eclipses her parenting for sure. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's wonderful, no doubt. It's awesome. Well, that's cool, James. What about uh, anyone else you'd want to? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many that have impacted me. I mean, yeah, yeah at my time during my most formative time at at iowa state i mean yeah jeff was uh one of the pastors at cornerstone a voice in my life um yeah i think about todd wallace like what a great he was the worship pastor when uh when i was in college and so i got to to sit under his leadership and be a part of like worship leader development with todd wallace i still respect mm -hmm. him so much um did you know yeah. the first one that pulled me in and taught me how to be a worship leader and oh, I no. just learned how to like do some chords on guitar and Todd's like you're gonna be leading freshman group oh, I was like I don't know how to play guitar he's like no that's fine just I'll be up there with you you just kind of strum along with me yes you could teach him how to be a Christian and he could teach you how to be a worship leader <laughs> <laughs> Todd was a baby Christian. yeah <laughs> oh my no, he was a Christian at that point, but a, a new believer. I mean, when, in those years when you were stepping into yeah. his, he was actually a new believer, but was just magnificently gifted by God with musical skills yeah. and all that, that he brought immediately, you know, into his faith. But whole... You were way stronger in your faith. You know what I mean? Than yeah. Todd it's it's so cool. There's a whole lineage of worship leaders in the Todd Wallace family tree, you know? That oh, yeah. Out. Just so many. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a cool. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Into that one. Yep. So, yeah, Troy Nesbitt, um, I mean, Paul Sabino, he and Jenny are who set Audrey and I up on our first date. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, and you, Mark, during our time in college, I, I, grew a ton under your leadership as well. So there's just a lot of people I'm thankful for. What would you say too? I mean, in, in recent years, cause under Vance's leadership and, you know, yeah. Um, I mean, 
yeah, you've talked about just ways that you grew there and yeah. Oh man. A lot of people that are, you know, since I've been gone the last 10 years, also other people. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Mark Vance has been the pastor of Cornerstone for the last two years. Um, and yeah, I, I respect Mark a ton. He, um, probably did the most for me just in terms of making me into a good, uh, manager of people like in my job, like just how, how to do that. I am, uh, a very just relational kind of go with the flow kind of person. And so like there are difficult leadership skills that I had to learn along the way to, to learn how to lead a team. Um, I'm really, yeah. I'm really glad you learned those before you got here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You oh, might yeah. revert. <laughs> uh, we may need yeah. to send you back there every <laughs> Oh man. But yeah, Mark is, he, he's incredible at leading a staff team. And I just got to see that and, and learn a ton from that. So awesome. yeah, my time at Cornerstone, I feel like, trained me in such a great way. I like, I'm excited to come here and, um, yeah, I'm so thankful for those, those years of just learning and growth under people who are way better at things than me. <laughs> That's awesome. It's good. What about people you've never met, you know, whether it's uh, authors or theologians, writers, musicians, what, whoever, like just people that you've never met that have yeah. shaped the way you think about the world. Mm -hmm. You can't say Bible characters. No Bible characters. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, Tim Keller. I mean, I've I've read so many of his books, and the his book, The Prodigal God, was one of the first like just whoa, like this is the gospel kind of books. I mean, it's a short read. It's still one of the first that I I recommend to to people who are like, where do I start? Just learning, taking a step deeper into Christianity. I'm like, read that book. It's wow. Give us the, for someone who's never read it, give us kind of the big idea there. So it, it, it's talking all about the prodigal son parable. Um, so when we think about the prodigal son uh, parable, we think about the, the son who goes away, he blows his inheritance, wastes it, and the father accepts him when he returns. And that's, that's a beautiful story in and of itself, but that's not the whole story. Jesus was telling this parable to Pharisees who um, the other brother in the story it stayed faithful to his dad and uh, did all the right things, lived the right way. And when the lost son comes back, um, the, the Pharisee son, the righteous son is mad and he he doesn't even go into the party. I mean, that's, that's how the parable ends, is this cliff, cliffhanger. Like, will the older brother join the party or not? Or is he going to stay resilient at this, this God who is too generous? So that's like what the word prodigal means. It doesn't mean lost. It means um, reckless, kind of, this idea of... So the prodigal God, the title of the book, is this, this God that is almost reckless in his generosity um, oh, wow. to sinners. And... Yeah, I I definitely identified more with the the son who, you know, felt like he was doing everything right and had that just pride in him, and that it it helped me recognize the depth of my sin and my need for God in a way that um, I hadn't seen before. But I think with Tim Keller too, just like broadly, 
he is such an intelligent person. He's able to boil down really difficult truths, but in a in a pastoral way that's easy to understand, and you can tell his heart is is a pastor's warm heart. Um, so, and that's one like uh, Jeff um, has kind of got me on a Eugene Peterson kick as well. I'm sure he's talked about him on the round table a few times, but that's the same, same kind of like ah, just that warmth of an experienced pastor. So, in my world, I I think a lot about worship and music and a voice of somebody who I have technically met, but I've just introduced myself to him at a conference. It's a guy named Bob Coughlin. Um, he is, he's a worship leader, but he's written a few books on worship. I love Bob Coughlin because he, he's like a, he's like a dad kind of, of worship leaders. He, he's an older guy who's been leading worship for years through through lots of different trends and phases. I think in worship leading, just a lot of the voices you hear are very young and trendy and of the moment. And I love having somebody who's kind of an anchor, who's been through a lot and a voice of wisdom, like fatherly wisdom for those of us who are trying to be faithful um, leading the church in worship. So, yeah. Jeff, what do you think about um, Tim Keller's voice among the next generation? I mean, where, I mean, a lot of pastors, young people, especially have been deeply impacted by him. Yeah. What do you think he kind of lands in the whole, I, I'm just yeah. trying to think of what, what, you know, in 20 years from now, what, what person yeah. is he like? in the history yeah. of people. Have- well, I think, I think the reason that maybe he got so much traction is because he's one of those unique um, pastor theologians. In other words, he's just brilliant. Like if he had stayed in the seminary world that he was in and just taught seminary classes, he still would have produced some incredible material for all of us to, to feed on and stand on. But because he chose to embed himself in a church plant in a very secular place in Manhattan, and so he was constantly having, having to take his theology and um, place it out there in a the public square to where secularists and skeptics were constantly pushing. It just broadened him and gave him language to be able to speak in a way that was, you know, he could become conversant in, in a somewhat hostile or at least skeptical world. And I think that w- that's kind of the, the magic, you know, in Tim Keller's works is that it, he didn't keep it hidden in an ivory tower or whatever, you know, he, he put it out in the most hostile place. And so there's an authenticity to that, you know, um, a lot of his illustration throughout all of his books are actually encounters that he has had as he's taken these truths and had them bump up against a secular world, you know? I think that's one of the things that keeps people grounded in, like in the way that you talked about Audrey, she's just grounded in reality, is Eugene Peterson talks about that when he's writing the message, because I don't know how he said it, Jeff, but that clip that you sent me where he's this Greek and Hebrew scholar but he said, really, it was that combined with his 20 years of just pastoring blue collar, middle class people that really gave birth to that translation of the Bible, the message. Yeah. And I think there's something about just being among people 
that the more disconnected you get from people, it's easy for us, even in ministry to kind of. It is. I, I love it when Peterson talks about even, and he, he's done this in a couple of his books, but he talks about how excited he was when the pastor that was going to at his church was going to be going through uh, the book of Leviticus. And he was excited to learn the book of Leviticus. And then the first time he heard that pastor describe sacrifice, he said, I was sitting there and I thought, look, I'm a butcher's son. I've watched animals get slaughtered my whole life. That guy doesn't know anything about sacrifice. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> you know, there was, there was this sense in which you, it, it kind of um, set Eugene Peterson on a path to know and deeply understand the Bible, not just in his head, but experientially that then again, translated into his pastoral work, his writing work, you know, 35 books later, he just wanted to bring to the common man, you know, the experience of the Bible. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. So James, back to you. Uh, what, what are you going to be? Oh, doing? Yeah, James is. <laughs> hey, hey, I love it. <laughs> Taking it all in. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to we're trying to get back to that crime and punishment lesson you're learning about not needing to matter. <laughs> this whole, <laughs> yes. whole roundtable we this never had another question. <laughs> so James, what are you going to be doing at Veritas? Can you help me know what what you'll be? Yeah, doing? so I will be the director of arts here at Veritas, which means um, yeah, everything from music service planning, um, video, graphics, website, communications, that whole thing, kind of the um, voice and look and feel of, of the church. So a lot of that is um, leading the staff team of great people that are already here. Like I'm super excited to work with Dalton and uh, we're bringing on a, another worship resident named Caleb. I'm excited to get to know him better. I mean, yeah, Mitch is an amazing graphic designer. Um, yeah, it's, it's just awesome to be able to work with this team of people that are here um, at Veritas. And so, yeah, just, um, yeah, I, I love being able to um, create um, beautiful things that, that, um, that facilitate in the gathering of God's people that, make the gospel beautiful, like make it shine in the way that, that it should. I'm really passionate about that. And so, yeah, excited to be part of the Veritas story now. I'm excited to get to know the church better. So when you think about, you know, your job as facilitating worship, making, I mean, that I love that word in uh, Spanish, facil, uh, mm. means easy. And yeah. so it, 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 the word means to facilitate means to make something easier to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously people have learned, well, we can worship in our living rooms with our families by ourselves, but man, it's a whole lot easier <laughs> when it's facilitated by other worshipers and gifted people. What is it that you want to facilitate when you think about uh, people's experience what do you want people to experience? Yeah, I hope what people experience at, at Veritas um, is a, a long game of spiritual 
formation. You know, like I, I really don't want to be about primarily about the big splash kind of thing. You know, there are, there are times for that. We're going to be celebrating 10 years um, this fall at Veritas. And it's, it's right to, to celebrate that in, in a big way. But more so, um, just the week in, week out Sunday gathering of the church. I'm really passionate about this idea that, that the, the songs that we sing are shaping us. Um, what we do, we're, we're, we're not going to remember. There are very few single Sunday services that we're going to remember. Like, oh, remember that service. So, there will be a few. But it's this cumulative effect of gathering with God's people, hearing his word, singing songs that, that tell the story of the gospel, that preach to ourselves and each other what we need to hear, that, that, that are shaping us week by week. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it is that it's, it's, it's nothing extraordinary. It's very, it's very ordinary. Um, but I want to do that in a way that, yeah, is, is made easy for people that, that, um, I want to give people the, the songs that, that they need. I want to think through those things. I want to build relationships here on the team. I want to create things that are excellent, um, for the glory of God, but there's so much that goes into that. Um, so, yeah, that's a roundabout way to answer it. But so Jeff, I, when, when he was talking about the cumulative effect of worshiping, I thought about—is it James K. Smith's "You Are What You Love"? I don't know if you. Oh know, yeah, you I like that book. Has read that? Just the, mm-hmm. the idea of how liturgy shapes us and habits, yeah, habits yeah. and yeah. I, 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 thought, yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing about just the Bible teaching, you know, just that same thing that it's mm-hmm. not anytime you work as you're, as you're preparing a sermon, imagining that this will be the like cataclysmic end all, this is going to be the showstopper. You, you always run aground that, um, I barely remember what I said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> well, alone all the audience out there, but it's more the habit, right. Of, of learning how to worship, learning how to receive God's word, learning how to walk in cadence in those worlds. And, you know, so it's, I love that because otherwise that pressure to always one up like James in your world, one up what you did musically the week mm-hmm. before, the week before that. And then, stylistically teaching whatever if that was the pressure that we felt it would be maddening and so Mm man-centered really it would end up being i think almost jeremiah like just a repulsive thing to god rather than a beautiful Mm -hmm. expression of of worship toward god you know that if we really felt like that was achieving some human standard and breaking through all those boundaries i was kind of laughing because uh we Jeff and I um, we did some tree removal. Oh, we had yeah. a little storm here. Can yeah. you see that? Uh, and that's a about a hundred and fifty year old oak tree that fell in the back of uh, Boatman's. And we were we were tearing this. We were cutting it up. And and I was laughing with with Jeff because all these roots. I was looking at all those roots and I was like, man, look at those. And then we found like some super tiny roots in there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Jeff, and he's like, oh yeah, this little root right here, 
that's like one little sermon I gave on, you know, we're talking about being rooted in God's <laughs> word and, and we were just oh, laughing about how those roots all represent like hmm. promises of God that a person's sacred yeah. in branches. And yeah. And so anyway, he was laughing about hmm. one little tiny one that was a sermon of his. Yeah. <laughs> it barely it looked like a hair. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that was your first John five sermon. Uh, that's such a great. You said picture. James about how you don't necessarily remember every single service, but it's the mm-hmm. it's just all of those things anchored in God that anchor you in God. And I think those songs, like some of those worship songs, are like big roots that. Mm-hmm. Like when you're just, you've talked about this before, like what will you be singing on your deathbed? Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be great is thy faithfulness or amazing grace, or, you know, maybe a modern chorus makes its way in there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, you know, right. uh, but I, I love how you talk about that. And I think mm-hmm. we'll benefit from your influence here for sure. So, yeah, but since you're the creative arts director, I want to talk about art a little bit. I love talking about literature, music, art, um, with people that actually read it and understand and appreciate it. Um, because I, I don't, I, I, I just, I think, uh, you have a lot on this. Um, well, at Veritas, we use the Lord of the Rings as kind of a metaphor a lot. So yeah, we often call it like, like when someone comes on set, I'm like, do you speak Lord of the Rings? <laughs> do, you do you understand the metaphor? For somebody that's yes. never read Lord of the Rings, what's kind of your sales pitch for why it's a book or a trilogy worth reading and, and knowing about? Because I, I'm yeah. kind of late to the game on it too. Like I, I yeah. And just now kind of reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Lord of the Rings. I, I mean, I think if you're if you're just getting started, um, you'll probably pick it up and probably think like, oh man, this is kind of boring. Like this is slow. Like it, it, it does like take a while to get into it. But what you realize is the the depth of this world that Tolkien created is is astounding you know he, he created this whole map of different places and different people groups he created languages for it and that's all very um impressive but the the cosmic storyline to it the the clear good and evil and the different types of characters like it really does when you get into it you're like this is this is a world that I could like walk around in and that I understand. Like I, I feel like I could get from the Shire to Rohan if I wanted to, like I can visualize that, you know? So it's just fun. I, I'm just a story guy. I get lost in stories and that's about the best one that I've found to just feel like I'm in a completely different place. It's just so fun. But, um, but Tolkien, yeah, he, he crafted these, um, very biblical Christian themes into it. Like it, it's, it's crazy how, you know, you, you see Frodo, the little lowly hobbits struggle with this power that he's been given that he didn't ask for. But um, there's so many metaphors for how we 
struggle with sin and pride, like what that does to you over time. Um, I don't know. I've, I've read it. I'm on my third time through them right now. And just more different things stand out every time. So I've, I'm making it a goal. I'm going to read them every, every decade of my life. I'm going to read the, the Lord of the Rings just to mm-hmm. recalibrate and just get lost in it again. Cause it's, amazing i was long enough it will almost take you a decade (laughs) yes (laughs) and and i'll get done i'll start over again the i was reading uh on the ted talks or their website or whatever they were given reading recommendations for quarantine and they put lord of the rings on there and i thought this description of lord of the rings was apt uh and it actually became the best description I can think of of what I would want Veritas culture to be like. And so I read it to our staff and, and it says this, this commentator, Alexandra Panzer from the Ted Ed team, she wrote uh, this about it, something about the fellowship of the ring that gave me a real sense of hope and satisfaction was the idea that in the face of even the most insurmountable obstacles, All you have to focus on is the next step and filling each little step with warmth, togetherness, and good meals is as integral to the mission as the goal itself. In this case, destroying the one ring in the fires of Mordor. Come for the gripping high stakes fantasy adventure. Stay for the best camping trip in literary history. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Isn't that a great statement where (laughs) like even in the most insurmountable obstacles, all you have to focus on is the next step and filling each little step with warmth, togetherness and good meals is as Mm. integral to the mission as the goal itself. Like Mm. those, and Jeff preached a message this during quarantine. That's like, probably one of those messages that's not just a little hair of a root, but like is growing into a bit, pretty big root for me, which he preached on friendship from John. I think it was John 21 where Jesus makes the fish for the disciples and like post-resurrection, he's just like, Hey, let's just sit around and eat together. And he's like cooking them a meal. And it just resonates with me. Like, there were so many pressing things that needed to happen there. So many people that needed the gospel and you mm. just like, Hey, let's just share a meal together. And mm. there's something beautiful about like, that's our friendship is as important to the mission as the goal of even what we're doing. Mm. You know, we can get yeah. so caught up in the mission and the goal and the whatever that we forget, like, those moments of just we're just friends we're just people that love each other on a journey together yeah that's the thing for me that i think where lord of the rings resonates the most Hmm. and it's contagious right i mean that that's why because if 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 the team of leaders who are kind of setting the course you know charting the course um for God's church really embrace that it, it just spills out. Then 
everybody wants to be around that campfire. Everybody or or, or create campfires of their own because yeah. they see the the warmth and beauty of it. You know, mm-hmm. whereas if those leaders um, don't care that much about the campfires and the meals along the way and are only driven to get to the next thing. That too is the kind of exhausting, dutiful pace that is picked up by. Yeah. You know, you see that, I guess, James, who are some of the characters in Lord of the Rings? We can just geek out on Lord of the Rings for a minute. Here. <laughs> um, I, I, would, yeah. I always joked with, uh, I, I, yeah, people that like Lord of the Rings also play games with where the dice have more than six sides. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, what, man. What those games are Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. So, oh, yeah. It's like a whole world I never understood. But just since I'm just new, I've, to- I've only played DD twice. So, okay. <laughs> so I think I'm still a Christian. I think if you do it more than three times, you, you, Join some kind of cult or something. Yeah, you have to get. I'm still safe. Two strikes. <laughs> but you did say you were wanting to play with Zach Rao as the dungeon master. Yeah, yeah. So I probably will get my third strike here pretty soon. <laughs> okay. Zach's gonna see to that. Who are yeah, some characters? Uh, yeah, I. So I love Sam. So Frodo's the main guy. Like he's he's the one who who has to carry the ring and like really lives sacrificially it's but sam is his friend who goes with him and just supports him at the end i mean spoiler alert you've had enough time to read this like frodo can't do it anymore like he can't carry this ring anymore so um sam takes him the rest of the day, he just carries and picks him up like i'm gonna carry you like i can't carry the ring for you but i can carry you and just like his humility and he's He's a gardener, you know, he's just a very simple person that just somehow got swept up into this thing, but, you know, lives so faithfully and is probably the biggest hero in the entire book. Um, I love, yeah, I, I love just all the unassuming, I mean, that's the whole thing, these hobbits, you know, like who would have chosen them to be the, you're surrounded by these knights and kings and um warriors but the hobbits are the ones who are the who have to do the hard thing and the only ones who can because they've got the the humility to to do it i don't know i still remember you can't it's hard to redo that initial time through such an epic story but in and it's yeah it's also hard to know how to not be give constant spoilers for everybody that that doubt (laughs) but at one point it does seem that um the hero has died and so here's his friend that seemingly you know take takes the ring for a short time and i remember when i got to that part i'm like i knew it he's actually the hero he's (laughs) the ring bearer he's you know because he, he truly does in so many ways you're right all the way at the very end and so there's these moments along the way where he just kind of steps in and you're like oh you know, and anyway, yeah, it's so many moments like that, you know, I think we want, like, my desire at Veritas is to be like, just a bunch of hobbits where (laughs) you're not, it's like, like, at one point, Faramir meets when he first meets Frodo, or, or at some point in their conversation, he's like, wow, who are you people? Like, 
he says their gardeners must be honored where you're from. Like you guys honor gardeners, average people. He's like, who, who are you? <laughs> what is this? He was, saying it. he was saying it. Uh, he's attracted. It's, it wasn't a dismissive. Yeah. Right. Right. He's leaning in. Like I've always wanted to meet, you know, to your yeah. point, James, here's all these elves and these wizards and, and yet here he was like strangely being drawn to the, the beautiful, simplistic life of these hobbits. Yeah. I want to know more about you people. <laughs> yeah, just like some humble people, some humble gardeners, but you have this extraordinary mission that you've been given. And is, is the end of the, I was trying to remember the Return of the King at the end of the movie, you know, they all like the hobbits, you know, bow down to Aragorn and, and, He's like, oh no. Like, is that is that scene pretty accurate to the book? Yeah, as far as I can tell. I'm trying to remember the scene in the movie, how it goes, but because everybody else is bowing, but when they go to bow, that's the he one time to that the king of that Aragorn is like, Yeah, you bow to no man kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, by far the best film adaptation of a book just ever. So if you're wanting to get your feet wet, I mean the movies are incredible so i i've watched the movies through twice or probably three times the the extended edition was so good and i i found with lord of the rings it's like a um it's like a fine wine you know where a really expensive bottle like the first time i the first time you taste it or you get into what you may not appreciate wine but there are people that really actually know mm -hmm. about wine. i feel like that's that's like lord of the rings for me where now that I'm like on my third time through the movies and the second time through the books, I'm like actually starting to appreciate it and, and experience the depth of this world. Um, anyway, yeah, we probably can move on from that topic. <laughs> I think we've lost. I don't, I don't think anybody's watching anymore except <laughs> Lord of the Rings people. Um, all right. Well, James, you're an avid reader. Any other like book genres or books you're into? Oh man, I just I I love reading. I I just like learning things, um, and so I'll read just about anything. But I I don't know. There's the the book How to Read a Book, which seems so like redundant, but it is great, and you should read it. Um, but at the end of that, there's this really long list that Mortimer Adler made that was like books you should read before you die. I, that's not what it's called, but that's what I call it. Cause my goal is to get through all of those books before I die. Wow. So, like from Homer, you know, the, the Iliad all the way up to the 1900s. And I haven't even scratched the surface. I might be, you know, so he, Mark Twain described a classic he said a classic is a book that everyone wants to have read, but no one wants to read. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. so that, I think that's a, probably a lot yes. of books on that list. Yeah, you, yeah. You and I feel like as I'm going through, I'm kind of curating my own list of like, here's, here are the ones I would tell people that they actually should read, and here are the ones right. you can actually right. skip. I'm like but. Crime and Punishment, I want to have read that book. <laughs> I was thinking, Mark, I was thinking the same thing earlier Every time I hear James and Audrey talk about Dostoevsky, I think, I wish I was a better person. I wish <laughs> I could really. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's, uh, 
It's my my atheist professor, uh, philosophy of religion professor. This dude in his like seventies, uh, Doc Klemke at Iowa State. Um, he said the best book he's ever read was The Brothers Karamazov. Oh, uh, uh, by yeah. I think David Livingston said he he read it recently and just. Oh, that, yeah, that's a phenomenal book. There's a, a priest character in that book that I go back to all the time. He's just one of those characters that's very defined. And honestly, like, I ask myself, like, what would that character do in this situation? Like, I, like that has been part of my conscience sometimes. Like, it, yeah, it's an wow. incredible what's book. book. What's the book? Can you just tell me? Save me the time. <laughs> the the brothers Karamazov, the brothers K for short. But um, I cannot give you a synopsis of this book. Okay, right. but I mean, three three brothers who take very different paths, and you kind of follow. They have a horrible father, and so you see just the, the youngest, the middle, the oldest. There, where their lives take them. So it's kind of the story of this family, but. Within it, you see, yeah, there's these side characters, like this priest character who's just this, like, just such a great example, I think, of what a pastor should be. And there's instances of grace and there's um, struggle. Like, there's a really famous passage in it where the middle child is, is uh, an atheist and he's struggling with who who Christ is and I, I'm trying to, I can't, it, I'm drawing it's a blank on like, isn't it on the problem of evil? Like how could this God? Yeah. So, so Dostoevsky, he's credited with creating one of the best um, arguments for why God doesn't exist. Like that, that's what people go to this, which just is, I mean, and Dostoevsky was a complicated man. I think he really did struggle with, with Christianity, but like really wanted to believe um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's just interesting, you know, how I just love the, the true struggle that you see in that. And Tolstoy's got kind of the same thing. Like they are really wrestling with their faith and honest about it. There are no easy answers. There are no easy, like, oh, and then I was easily converted to Christianity. Like that does not happen. Like it is very honest grappling with mortality wow. and meaningless of life there's yeah it's so great well, you're in the right city james i think um iowa city is one of a handful of unesco cities of literature there's like mm -hmm. more i think there's more bookstores per capita in iowa city than any other place in the world some some crazy thing like that with the um with the writer's workshop and uh maybe maybe someday we'll we'll be able to hook up a tour of the writer's workshop. Jeff yes, um, awesome. got us hooked up with when Russell Moore came to town, uh, someone in the workshop took us on a tour of there and uh, buildings it was pretty cool. I think you'd enjoy it. So that thing I was trying to think of, it's called the Grand Inquisitor. So just Google that after this and you can read, it's like a story within a story, but it's, yeah, his, um, basically his, proof that god doesn't exist kind of, yeah. kind of a thing yeah i think in a day some uplifting uh i think in a day when you know clerics are uh, pretty suspect and there's a lot of scandalous stuff and i guess there has been throughout time of scandalous you know pastors and priests and stuff but looking at some of those places like that character that you're describing same thing in les mis the priest character yes 
especially in the book, he's developed a lot more than in the movie Mm -hmm. um, where you're just looking at that. And even Marilyn Robinson, you know, the way that she made such a heroic, beautiful, noble character of of that pastor. um, It's you feel good about that because, yeah, often they tend to be kind of the epitome of evil because they're behind this cloak of righteousness and, and Christianity often, you know, but they're really the worst characters. So, so some of these authors that bring out their truly virtuous Mm -hmm. Christ followers, like really mimicking the life of Christ in, in that characters, they're fun to read. Yep. Um, I want to ask you, James, if you could lead a round table with a few characters from history yeah. So you're, you're, you're leading the round table and you get to zoom in any character from history and uh, choose your topic of what you're talking to them about. Who, who are you choosing? So, um, yeah, you, just so he sent me this question before. So this isn't like my off the top of the head. I don't know what I would have said. I would have frozen and been like, uh, I don't know. Um, so there are so many different options, but here's what I would choose. I would go... Dante, John Milton, C.S. Lewis, and me. And I would not say a word. C.S. Lewis would lead the roundtable. But it would be about Christian art, like Christian storytelling. Mm. So, I mean, Dante, the Divine Comedy, that's one of those that, like, you're probably like, oh, man, I could never read it. Like, it's, it, if you find a good version, it, like, walks you through it and, like, explains stuff. I think it is probably the best work of Christian art that's ever been made, like any format. Like it's, it's incredible. And, you know, it's, it's, his, it's his account of going to hell and going to purgatory, which we don't really believe in. But I think as a literary device, like you, the way that he portrays the gospel and even says at the beginning of the book, like I'm writing this so that lost souls will be saved. Like I, that's my goal in writing this is to, to, wow. to show the gospel. And so it's hell, purgatory, heaven. And you see all these historical characters where they're at in the places and this. Um, so it's this epic work. And then John Milton wrote an epic called Paradise Lost. And it's similar in its structure. C.S. Lewis was an expert on classics. And so he read all these things and he created the Chronicles of Narnia. I am just always wrestling with, in the arts in general, like how explicit do you need to be or should you be with the gospel? You know, because that, that's, that's been a, a shortcoming of, of Christian art today is that it just seems too easy a lot of the times, too whitewashed, like, oh, and then this conversion experience happened. Like it almost feels like just not true, like not authentic and... I don't know. I just, I'm still grappling with that of how, how should we as Christians be going about creating art and participate, participating in the marketplace of ideas? Like, should we just be creating stuff in church for church or out there creating art that's from a Christian worldview, but doesn't need to be explicit. I, there's just, I want to hear those guys talk about it. That's all I'm saying. I think you should add one more guy to your table. <laughs> And still be quiet, but <laughs> I think you should um, bunion because Ooh, yeah. even though he's way more blatant, uh, you know, there's a more one-to-one connection 
uh, to the gospel. Uh, you know, he wrote in that story form at a time where that really wasn't, if you were going to be a brilliant Christian mind and contribute mm. to the literary world, you would have chosen, you know, nonfiction. But he he chose this elaborate, beautiful, you know, beautiful yeah. story. So I'm just saying that'd be another yep. era, but another artist. Mm. Anything that stood the test of time for as long as, you know, those yes. three guys. Anyway. I thought you were going to say Francis Schaefer, but I'll take all of them. I thought about bring, it. <laughs> bring them all in. <laughs> but Schaefer, Schaefer would have to be, again, more the moderator. So you got Lewis. Yeah. Dick, you could, you could, you know, switch those two guys out as moderators, but the other three are the. The only line I remember, we had to read part of Dante's Inferno in some British literature class. And the one thing I remember is I, at one point, part of hell that they're entering there's a sign above that says abandon all hope ye who enter here yeah like that's one of the most terrifying thoughts about hell is Oof. there's nothing to look forward to like even in this world no matter how hopeless your life is there's still like because hope is what keeps everyone going there's always something mm. like, maybe it's the football season Maybe it's like a game coming up. Maybe it's a meal or something you're going to eat for lunch or like there's something in the future that gives you some reason of like, ah, I want to keep going. I want to. Mm. And the thought of hell is like a place with no hope because nobody on earth has ever experienced a world completely without hope. And I'll say that I think Dante would hate that somehow the inferno is the one that everybody reads like dante's inferno he talk, like it's yeah. one third of the book that he wrote like the rest is like salvation and it, like he's got a whole book on heaven that nobody reads because they want to read the inferno no way <laughs> yeah, like, so, I know that. yeah so one third of it is inferno one third of it is purgatory and one third of it is paradise so and which is even yeah they so he wrote on each of these, you know, in Catholicism, they believed in these three places you could land and purgatories where you land on your way to paradise. But his description of heaven is just as vivid, if not more, than hell. That reminds me of people that critique how everyone reads The Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Edwards. Oh, yeah. They say that would be like, it'd be like the only thing you ever read from Jesus was Matthew 23. I think that's the chapter on the woe, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you scribes, woe to you, like mm -hmm. it, you, you don't actually get the whole picture. Um, all right, yeah. so talking about hope, James, let's end with this thought. What keeps you hopeful during times like these? Mm -hmm. I mean, the first thing that came to mind for me was my daughter. <laughs> I love, we didn't talk about her at all, but she's amazing. She's a two-year-old named Colette. We call her Coco for short. Um, but she is just so joyful. Oh, and such a gift. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's her, but like the reflection off of her onto Christ. You know, the goodness of, of God to, to give me a gift like that. You know, I mean, there is so much just 
terrible things going on right now that you, you see these just glimmers of hope um, in, so I, I, I see it first in the, in my family, my wife and daughter, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, a beautiful world. I mean, even in its crazy power that we saw in the, in the derecho, you know, um, God is, is so good and powerful. I mean, Jesus is, um, yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about how we're created in the image of God and, I was at this lake last week and had a moment where I'm in the water in the morning and I'm looking at the sky and the water and like feeling the water, seeing birds. And I just had this like moment of just like, this is good. And it just struck me like, oh, that's what, that's what God says when he looks at creation. Like that's the feeling. And I'm sure this isn't as profound as it felt, but I was just like, this is, this is what it means to be created in the image of God. Like no other creature gets to do this. Like look and see the the synthesis of everything working together and be like, this is good. Like wow. this is amazing. No other, no other creature has that. And mm. even in, in horrible times, like there's such beauty in the world. And that's why I like art so much too. It's just God created us in his image to create. Um, our creations are not going to stand the test of the time the way that God's creation does, but I'd love to participate in that, enjoy that. Um, I feel like there's so much hope in that. Mm, good. What's just last question about heaven. Like what, I, th- I feel like we need hope. We need, we need to think about heaven a lot. Help me think mm-hmm. about heaven. When you when you get excited about heaven, what comes to mind? I I think of the idea of of fullness. Like just the that thing that I was feeling in the lake of like this is good, but I'm also looking around at like there's there's houses on the lake and some look really beautiful, others are like really run down. And like, these are man's creations in the midst of God's creation. None of these houses are going to last, you know, more than a hundred years. They're going to come and go. But like what God has created will, and even the, the nature itself, the lake I was in was not, was created by bulldozers. It was a man-made lake. Um, so there's just, it's so imperfect. I'm like, man, if I can find so much beauty in God's creation here and what he's done, like the fullness of of creation, but then you think of the fullness of um, like all these of humanity as God's work of art. Like Mm -hmm. I'm excited to be fully realized, whatever that looks like for God to use, like, what are we going to be doing in heaven? Like I'm whatever God is preparing for us here. I'm so excited to be a part of what that's going to look like because we're not all just going to be sitting around playing harps. Like we're going to be, actively engaging in life that is truly life, whatever that is. So just the fullness of life without, without all the struggles that we're experiencing now. Um, yeah. I'm just excited to, yep. to see what God's been up to. Yeah. Yep. And, and Jesus is there. I mean, what's it going to be like to yes see him and, Oh, a guy in our men's group read this morning, John 16, 33, because, 
everyone in our men's group is just going through a really hard time right now. And, um, you know, just thinking about moms that <laughs> moms and dads who are trying to figure out with kids and school and kids being home and just all the things that, yeah, anyway, just mm. living in a world of just disappointment right now and loss and struggle. Uh, he read John 16, 33. And Jesus says, I've, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And yeah, I think about Jesus saying, in me, you will have peace. And just yeah. being able to be in his presence and finally experience being in him and having shalom, the peace restored. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's... Uh, Jeff, I'm going to leave you with the last word. Well, actually, I was, <clears throat> I, I, you know, earlier we were in Proverbs 19. And as I thought about James and, and having this, well, just this moment for James and Audrey and Coco to move to Iowa City and part of our family being reunited in the same city. I mean, obviously, there's a ton of just joy and delight and gratitude in that. But as I thought about James, particularly, Proverbs 19:22 it says what is desirable in a person is his fidelity you know faithfulness is another word for faithfulness you know fide faith like full of faith mm-hmm. what is desirable in a person is his fidelity better to be a poor person than a liar <laughs> i mean just that bold you know kind of uh, aggressive way that proverbs is written and i just think veritas is going to be really blessed Yes, James has tons of musical skills and videography skills and managerial skills, all, all sorts of stuff he's going to bring to the table that, that's going to be of benefit to all of us. But I think, James, it's your fidelity, your faithfulness. Um, that's, that's really the hallmark of your life. That's the hallmark of your family. And I think that's what's going to be the gift, really, that you bring to, to Veritas. So I'm excited, excited for you to be here as much for you, your presence, your family, but just what you're going to contribute to God's church here. I'm very excited for that. That's awesome. Well, James, I did ask you to bring a guitar, hoping that you would just close our time with a worship song. Uh, And we've been talking about worshiping our way through these days. And so, yeah. Could you just close us with a song, whatever one you've chosen? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, song I really like um, called Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. It's a long title, but if you want to Google it, you can follow along the lyrics. Uh, it's by a group called City Alight. Um, I just love the... It's got a great melody, but the, the truth has been really um, helpful for me during this during the last six months of just uncertainty. Um, just reminding of the gift that Jesus is and how I have nothing without him. So here we go. What gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, 
my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. Oh, Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and never is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said, that he will bring me home and day by day i know he will renew me until i stand with joy before the throne to this i hold my hope is only jesus all the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ all right thank you james thanks everyone for joining us we hope you have a great week we will see you next time see ya